Don't we have a great worship team? You know, I really, uh, really appreciate them. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Galatians chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. If you would like a Bible to follow along, you do not have one, but you would like one, uh, simply raise your hands and David will make sure, John will make sure, either one of them will make sure you have a Bible in your hand. So if you would like one to follow along, just raise your hand. And uh, we're going to be looking, uh, we need a couple over here, two or three, uh, that is fantastic. Galatians chapter 11, or I mean chapter, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And let me, let me ask you uh, a question. Uh, you know, philosophers do this. They ask these important questions. And so um, I want to ask it this morning. What, what is, what's important to you? What's worthwhile? If you, would, if you were to think about it in your own mind, just think about it. What is really worthwhile? You know, maybe you would think uh, something like your family or uh, your spouse, your kids, your job. Is that worthwhile? Your hobbies? I don't know what your hobbies are. Is it, is it worthwhile to uh, go golfing every Tuesday morning? Yeah, Paco says, yeah, that's there. Your money? Is that worthwhile to you? How about, how about your political views? Is that important? How about your church? Or your faith? If, if you were to think about the things that you spend your time on, or you think about, or you focus on, what is it? How, how do you know what's worthwhile? How do you know what's of value? What would others say? If they looked at you. You, you may say, well, it, it's my faith, it's my God, it's my... But what would somebody else say about what's worthwhile to you? What's of value to you? I was reading a, a story. I, I found it a number of years ago, and I saved the article. Um, it's about a young girl that she was... Well, she wasn't a young girl when she wrote the article, but she was talking about her sister who was 13 years older than her, and... Um, they didn't get along very well. He said, I wasn't like my sister. I wasn't adored. I was unselfish. I wasn't unselfish like her. I wasn't spiritual. I grew up green with envy at her, but I was shattered by her death. I want to just read it. It says, during Julia's funeral, we sang, A mighty fortress is our God, and I experienced a strange flashback. One one night, when she and Charlie had been married less than a year, I, the visiting 11-year-old sister, glanced into her bedroom, and I caught Julia in the act. She was wearing a long lavender nightgown, her brown raid braid hanging down her back. She was kneeling by the double bed, saying her prayers. What a strange thing for a grown woman to do, I thought. Now I lay me down to sleep? That's kid stuff. Later, when I was a know-it-all Wellesley undergraduate, she and I began our long-running debate about the meaning of life. My philosophy was all questions. What's important? What isn't important? Why do we live? Do we exist? Those kinds of things. All my questions, but Julia's faith was unshakable. Belief in immortality. My sister told me, firmly is the only way you can make sense of the universe. With all of my heart, I believe that life has purpose, and ahead of us, doors are open. 
On the day of her funeral, as I sat in the stained glass silence of the church, the truth struck me. I was not jealous of Julia's long hair or her merry laugh or her many friends, but I coveted, what I coveted was her unshakable faith. And when we buried my sister, I dissolved into a pool of guilt and regret. Some people, when they are depressed, go to the psychiatrist. Others go to the bar and some even to a priest. I go to a library. Browsing through the Wellesley College Library, I was looking for something to ease my grief when a title caught my eye. What is worthwhile? It's the title of our message this morning. What is worthwhile? I... It was a slender volume bound in white vellum with gold lettering. Inside, I discovered the long-forgotten book was by Anna Robertson Brown, a Wellesley class of 1883. Tucked between the pages, I found a yellowing New York Times obituary dated March 1, 1948. It reported that Anna Robertson Brown had written a book with a provocative title, What is Worthwhile?, And later I would learn that little book was translated into Japanese and went into 73 printings and it stayed in print for 67 years. Why would such a modest volume become a bestseller? Could the sentimental 1890s speak to, then I've changed the date, the hard-boiled 2018s? Anna was the first woman to earn a Ph.D. in English at the University of Pennsylvania. The daughter of a Presbyterian minister, she spent part of her childhood on the western frontier. As a Wellesley alumna, she became a member of the Phi Beta Kappa. She was surrounded, or she studied at Oxford and the College de France during departures for the 19th, daring departures for a 19th century woman. In 1896, Anna Robertson married. Brown married Dr. Samuel McCune Lindsay, a commissioner of education for Puerto Rico and later prominent sociologist at Columbia University. Together they traveled the world, calling herself a lifelong student. She explained, I am continually seeking knowledge in an effort to perceive the ultimate laws of God's universe. She produced three children and 34 books and died at the age of 84. I settled in a quiet alcove and I started to read. Anna's opening sentences were riveting. Only one life to live. We all must make the most of it. I want you to think of that for a moment. Only one life to live. Do you know every one of us it's the same amount of hours in a day. 24 hours, and yet it seems like some people accomplish more than others. Why? Only one life to live. I thought about that. I, I thought about why sometimes we're more effective than other times. Why some days are better for me than other days. Uh, I remember my dad talking to me while I was going to college, and he said, you know, Andy, uh, my grades weren't the best at that point, and he, and he said, you know, it, it's how you spend your time. And he related back to when he went to college, his dad was paying the bill, and he said the first quarter, uh, they didn't have semesters, it was a quarter system, he said the first quarter he almost flunked out, and his father called him in, and he says, you know, Bob, 
I'm paying for you to go to school, and I expect you'll do better. And he says, this, this quarter, I want you to write out every day, every half hour, what you've done with that half hour. And each week, send it home to me. He said, my grades radically improved. What do we do with the time God gives us? T.D. Studd wrote a poem, and in it he said, Only that which is done for God will last. Only one life to live. We all want to make the most of it. How can we accomplish the most with the energies and powers at our command? What is worthwhile? There it is again. What is worthwhile? The woman is writing to me, I whispered. Those are the questions I should ask myself every day, but I don't. I put myself there. Like my sister, Anna, she was grounded in faith. We cannot possibly grasp the whole life, she writes. What is vital? What may we profitably let go? And that's the hard question. What can I let go of? What don't I really need? What isn't making a difference for eternity? Because you see, that's the only thing that lasts. The things we oftentimes strive so hard for on the earth are going to be gone. They aren't going to last. We don't take them with us. What do we do with eternity? And then she reaches for the stars. (laughs) We may let go all things which we cannot carry into eternal life. I like that, don't you? We may let go of all things which we do not carry into eternal life. And with this is the golden yardstick she measured her values and establishes her rules. If we don't want to cumber our lives, she says, there are four things we can do. Number one, drop pretense. Eternity is not for shams. Don't try and make yourself out to be somebody you're not. Number two, drop worry. Worry is spiritual nearsightedness. Have you ever thought about that? Always caught up about the near thing. Don't worry about... Or worry is spiritual nearsightedness, a fumbling way of looking at little things and of magnifying their value. Let go of discontent. Make a heroic life out of whatever is set before us. Let go of self-seeking. In eternal life there is no greed. One hears of neither mine or thine. All things for all. As I read that article, I thought back to our passage this morning in Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, and in some ways that's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about what's important, what's worthwhile, what do you want to grasp and hold on to. He really divides this passage into three parts, or I will as we read it, and the first part has to do what was important to you, what was of worth before you became a Christian before you came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. What did you strive for? What did you focus your attention on? The second part has to do what happened when you met Jesus Christ. How did your focus change? How did you begin to see things differently than you saw them before in terms of what was important? And then the third one is for Christians, but it's after we have been Christians for a period of time. Have you ever noticed how sometimes we become apathetic about our faith? 
and we oftentimes drift back to those things that we think are worthwhile to the very things we left when we accepted Jesus Christ. We go right back where we were, or maybe we just trade them for something else like the Galatians did. But let me read the first 11 verses to you. Uh, boy, I don't know how far I'm going to get today. I may even be coming back to this. It's been full, but let, let me get started. It says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ from the slave, although he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. That's where we were before Jesus Christ became a reality. Those elemental things are, well, it calls them the ABCs of life. They're really not, they're, they're, they're foundational. It's like a child learns to read. He's got to learn his ABCs and the sounds before he can move on to the words and the sentences and everything else that goes with it. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time came, and, and I love it when it says this, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, for the purpose or so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Because you were sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his son into our hearts, saying, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore we are no longer slaves, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. However, at that time, when we did not know God, we were slaves to those who were by nature no, are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and the worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? Oh, you observe the days and the months and the seasons and the years. I fear for you that perhaps I've labored over you in vain. Let's pray. Father, I don't have much time. And I certainly do not want to do an injustice to this great passage. But Father, help us to understand as we look at this passage that before we came to know you, we were like children um, under the law. That was certainly true for the Jews. For the Gentiles, they were heathens under heathen deities, deities that really didn't exist at all. They were just statues. They were idols. They were gods that were made up by men and had no more power than the person who created them. And in our own nation, we realize that there are those gods. There are those things that we worship. The Bible calls greed an idol. Materialism can overwhelm us. The desire for power and authority can be a problem. Our professions can become so important that they crowd out our relationship with Jesus Christ. And even our relationship with our families, our spouses, our kids. But when we turn to you, Father, it changes because we are no longer the infant, the child, the one who cannot take care of himself. We're no longer under the tutor or 
the teacher who sets direction for our life, but now we become sons of God. Sons and heirs. Adult sons. Maybe not perfected spiritually here on earth, but certainly you see us as heirs of yours. And Father, we thank you for that. And then as we look at our lives today, we must reevaluate. For Father, sometimes we slip back to those old patterns. And it's the things of the world that consume our time. It's the things of the stuff. The monetary things, the material things that become so important. And you're pushed to the side once again to receive the leftovers rather than the first fruits. Oh, Father, forgive us when we do that. Help us to understand that when we by faith came to know you, we didn't simply come to know you as our Savior or one who would take away this problem or that problem or this habit or that habit or this addiction or that addiction, but you, you became our Lord who controls all. You're God. Jesus is God. He is deity. Sent from the Father. Born of a virgin. Perfect in all his ways. He came under the law to redeem those under the law that they might have eternal life. Oh, Father, help us to get a hold of this in the next week and to understand what it says. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the day that we have Thank you for the hours that are ahead of us. And I pray this week, even though we're going to come back to this, Father, I pray this week that we would take each 24 hours and evaluate what we're doing with it. What did we do with the last half hour? What did we do with the last hour? What, what impact does it have on eternity? And what impact does it have on our life for that which is real and that which is good? Father, help us to understand that and to move ahead with that. You are truly an awesome God. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time that we have had to worship together. I just, I praise you for your goodness and for your love. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's already 10 o'clock. We had a few extra things this week, and you're not going to get my message, but you got part of it in my, in my prayer. Uh, we are going to look at one more video before we go. But I want to ask something before we watch that video. Maybe God did something in your life this week, and you went, wow. You know, we had a couple of different people go in for surgeries. We are going to have some things coming up next week. Um, Jake, uh, last I talked to, to Brianna, she said that... Uh, Surgery went well. The doctors seem to be real positive about it. They don't have a, a full picture yet of what's taken place, but they, they got the cancer, they believe, and, and he should be fine. And if you don't know Jake and Bree, you need to get to know them. Nice young couple that have started coming the last few months. Uh, but uh, 
it, it was just neat to see how how God has worked there. Uh, anyone else that maybe has something that God has just done very miraculously in the last week? You can just say, wow, God was in this. Because too often we, we miss out on those. Anybody? Nobody else will talk. David will. All I'd like to share is um, my family, my in-laws. So we have my mother-in-law. She's at our house right now. And the message, you know, we go through life and we accumulate and we accumulate and accumulate all this stuff. And at the end of our life, I mean, it doesn't really matter. We're not taking a U-Haul to heaven. And my mother-in-law and their family, they've had all their stuff as the as the years went by, and they're at a point in their life where they're just like letting go. They're just letting letting it go and kind of simplifying and making life a little bit easier. And it's easier in life as we baggage, I guess you call it kind of like baggage. And it's just like a lot of lot of baggage you just carry around. And to let go. And for my mother in law, her health, uh, she had her knee surgeries. She's kind of hunched over. But she's at our house, and she's in a lot of pain. And I'm hoping she's actually going to make the second service today. But I'm going back over their house. Um, and all yesterday was an amazing day. Um, and it's just the way you look at the blessings in life, the way God provides. But yesterday I went over, well, two weeks, two weeks ago I went over, and we basically got rid of a lot, a lot of stuff. Took a lot just to the dumps. And yesterday I went over and pulled up all the carpet, in like the bedrooms, pulled out all the baseboards, the casings, the trim, gutted it. Um, I tried to find somebody who could do some hauling, uh, haul away a bunch of stuff. Sure enough, somebody said, I'll come over today, I'm gonna do it for you today. Came over, short notice, right then and there, hauled away all this. There was a lot of drywall. A drywall contractor says, you know what? I'm in Pacifica, how soon do you need it? I go, today, and he's like, Okay, I'm coming over. I'm, I'm going to come do it for you. And he came over and he did all this drywall work. And I asked him how much it would be. And he said, it's $75 an hour. You got about 12 hours worth of labor. So about $900. So I went to the bank, got the cash. Um, he did all the work yesterday. He got, he got home. He called me. He said, David, 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 that's just too much money. I don't, it's like, I don't need that much money. Just give me $500. Because I had given him $900. But the Spirit of God, just the way God works, it's like he says, I don't need that. It's like I, I was there to help you out. Um, I did, it didn't take me that long. I don't, um, let me give you back some of that money. I'm not going to. So with that, we're basically going through fixing up their house. That's where I'm going after church. Um, go, I'm sorry, Mr. Lance. Sorry, David. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I, I'll be at my mother-in-law's house. I'm going to miss Bible study. But I'm going to be over there and be painting and just remodeling. But we're trying to do an extreme makeover. But my mother-in-law, I really do hope that she will come for the second service. But she's at that point in her life. Um, but for all of us, it's just, it feels so good to simplify your life. To, for me, when it comes Thursday night, garbage day is on Friday. And I'm like, looking, there's space in the garbage can. What can I get rid of? I want to make my life easier. Um, donate everything to the poor. Help out a cause. But gratitude, gratefulness, and you go through life and you just look at all the blessings each day. And be a, it's so important to go through life and be aware of all the blessings. To not take blessings for granted, just to be totally, totally aware 
But the way yesterday, everything just transpired yesterday. Everybody, the, he hauled the garbage away. The person showed up to do all the drywall. I gave him the money that he requested. He gave it back. He, he didn't want it. It's just, those are blessings. Those are blessings. Those, I don't believe in coincidence at all. It's just the way God works. And gratitude, grateful. Good. Thank you. He shared that with us while we were praying in there. He added a little more, but I'm just as glad you didn't add everything in there, David. So, uh, But God's good. I, I think too often we miss out on what God's doing in our congregation and among the people here. And so to be able to just take that a uh, few moments and, you know, just the basic things that go on in life. What, what are you seeing on a 12-hour day, a 24-hour day, uh, the 16 hours you're awake or the 18 hours you're awake? What are you seeing that is being done for eternity? What are you seeing that's making a difference? Uh, if you sat down at the end of the day and wrote it down, what did I accomplish in, in this last 18 hours? And how much of it really made a difference for God? And I think that's important that we take that time to evaluate on a regular basis. Where are we in our relationship with God?